1: Your go-to place for premium, high-quality, highly sought-after used surfboards. Longboards, fish, alternative, retro, high-performance, you name it. TheboardSource.com, updating their website daily. Check it out. As many of you know, we've been producing an event, a consumer-facing trade show for the surfboard manufacturing industry, the Boardroom International Surfboard Show, formerly Sacred Craft. As part of the trade show, each year we honor a legendary surfboard craftsman in the Icons of Foam tribute to the masters. In the past, we've honored Mike Diffenderfer. Bill Castor, John Bradbury, Dick Brewer, Renny Yater, Simon Anderson, Carl Ekstrom, Doug Hout, Mark Richards, Rich Price, Terry Martin, Ben Ipa, Rusty Preisendorfer, Jerry Lopez, John Mel, Al Merrick, Mark Andrini, and this past year, Wayne Lynch. And coming up in the year 2020, at our next show, May 2nd and 3rd, we're pleased to announce our honoree in the Icons of Foam Tribute to the Masters as Pat Rawson. Pat Rawson is an internationally regarded surfboard craftsman, a super kind human being, an excellent musician, father, and a bit of a spiritual savant. The Boardroom Podcast with Pat Rossen. Let us begin. That's The Boardroom Podcast with Pat Rossen. Pat, this is an exciting podcast for me because... As you know, I've been producing an event where we honor a legendary surfboard craftsman, the icons of foam tribute to the masters. We did it at the Sacred Craft Show. And now, of course, the Boardroom International Surfboard Show presented by U.S. Blanks in the year 2020 in both the USA and in Tokyo, Japan. And 2020... Our guest, you, Pat, you're our honoree as the Icon of Foam at the Boardroom Show, so thank you so much for being involved in the Boardroom Show. We're we're super excited to have you.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm pretty stoked here.
1: Yeah. Now, as you know, but maybe our listeners don't know, you won the Icons of Foam when we honored Dick Brewer back in 2009, so Maybe tell me a little bit about what that experience was like for you as a
2: guy that was honoring Dick Brewer. Well, I'm not a very fast shaper, so it was scary. That was the first thing. And there was a lot of good people, a lot of judges. I think we had as many judges as we had competitors. And they were all really good shapers themselves. Um, I think the probably the holy grail for me is if I was going to compete and win one, I really wanted to win that because Dick's been my teacher and... I mean, we have good history together. We are friends, and I learned so much from him about guns and about shaping. Yeah. Like what to do, and I will say this with a smile, what not to do. Yeah. Each one of us passes something on to the next guy, and um, I was lucky in the early 70s to have that relationship with him, and he's the best shaper ever in history, Mm -hmm. I think, in my opinion.
1: You know, interestingly, you may or may not know this. I think you might know this, but— you also competed in the, in the tribute, the Icons of Foam, where we honored Mark Richards. Do you like that? That milk reserve oolong?
2: Yeah, that's a good tea. That's good. Probably need to drink way more of this and less coffee. <laughs> well,
1: you know. Um, so we honored Mark Richards, and, of course, you competed in that event. And word on the street is, is that you were in the top two, and you, your board was just gorgeous, but it had some – maybe it wasn't quite finished – or something like you nailed everything but it just wasn't like ready to glass like it was still like maybe i don't even know the phrase that you shapers use but it was a little still rough it hadn't been you know i guess fine-tuned or or just the blemishes on the deck hadn't been taken out or something so it was a toss-up between you and ricky carroll and and this is what by the way what i heard from the judges i i of course i'm not a judge um any thoughts on the mark Richards shape-off with the twin fin
2: you know interesting enough i was talking to Jimmy. Patterson is kind of one of my best friends here in California. He's helped me so many times and ironically Mark Richards had popped up right when we were talking. Mark and I are, we have a lot of history together. He's a great guy. And I can remember that that competition like he goes you nailed it. That was the board. But the problem was and all of us artists have excuses, right? That's how you do it. If you play a bad passage in music and you blow it and the guy's looking at you, the guy in the bandstand, I, you know, I thought it was we were in the B part instead of the A part. You know, Things happen, right? Yeah. In my case, I didn't bring my planer because Timmy had said, look, you can use Terry Martin's planer. And I thought, wow, that's just an honor to even touch the thing, more or less use it in a competition. Well, I don't know. It's got blades, and I don't use blades. I use the carbide because I do a lot of EPS work. Rip the crap out of the board, <laughs> even taking a little tiny cut to sort of get rid of it. So I figured, well, you know, it's the board counts, not the craftsmanship, because I like doing a good job, right? Yeah. So that was probably why you guys knew <laughs> it was my board, because, I mean, there was clumps missing, like bigger than a quarter inch. It just got ripped out. Yeah. And normally, we just glass a board like that opaque, and it'd be no problem. But it was neat to compete for Mark, because he's so passionate about his boards. He makes the best twin fin in the world by far and he rides the best on a twin fin of any surfer yeah and he's killing it right now and i'm proud of him he's worked really hard to get where he is and so it was a great competition everyone that i've competed in simon's as well these are people that i love and i respect and i can hang with you know we've got some kind of history somewhere yeah so that was a great competition and uh i'm trying to remember if reno was competing And i think he was because mark really wanted him and i mean ricky carroll can i say the guy's a monster man he's so low-key and so quiet but he's the guy when it comes down and the clock's ticking man he can do it he's won i think three right he's won three yeah he could win every one of them i think he actually doesn't want to show off too much he's so demure you know he's one of those guys that if you know him good he doesn't say much in fact we get along great because i do all the talking and it's (laughs) basically he'll put a word in it's just perfect i thank you you know But, I mean, competing with those guys is a big buzz. And, again, I'm not a fast production shaper. I never was. It takes me two and a half hours aboard board if I'm going to do it off the blank. And, you know, when you only have two hours and you're supposed to measure the thing and figure it out, I mean, I'm kind of out of my league with those guys. Yeah, yeah exactly. hour and a half, I think.
1: Well, some, yeah, some yeah
2: right, to actually shape it. And so, yeah. you know, guys that shape off the blank every day. Um I already know who I wanna pick in my competition that's come up. We've talked a little bit about it. Getting people that mean a lot to me, but also getting a person from each area so it's very well represented and I want to pick people that absolutely can win it.
1: Are there absolutely. some are there some people that that you've selected in your brain that you've talked to that have confirmed that they're gonna be there that you wanna this that you wanna to- announce that they're going to be there or do you want to hold on i think
2: it's a little bit premature i kind of i'm a little bit on the demure side even though i'll talk your ear off one-on-one i mean if you put me in front of a group or like when i do music i'm not on the mic or anything i usually just sit in the back i've got black clothes on blend into the shadows on stage (laughs) i love that i like being the low-key guy even though like i said one-on-one i'm not low-key yeah 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 um i do have some people i think that are gonna it's gonna be crowded that's all because i told everybody that i have told just bring a basket of rotten fruit and you can at least have fun throwing it at me while I'm trying to <laughs> <laughs> MC the thing with you. Right. you know, and just, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And, and you mentioned
1: that you want to pick guys that, that are all top-notch, that you feel like can totally win the thing, that
2: like these guys are going to be, in, in my eyes, I imagine legends in their own right. Well, you know, I'm torn... I know we talked about this. So, I mean, I'm just going to say it since I'm live that, you know, it's hard because you want to pick people that mean a lot to you that have done a lot of really good things to help you. Um, I'm not supposed to say anything now who, right? Or should I say some confirmation?
1: Yeah, you can say whatever you want. Well, let me
2: tell you two people for sure. I only picked one out of Hawaii. And the reason I picked him, I mean, obviously, I picked Dick Brewer, but he ain't going to do it. (laughs) It's like he's just not. Yeah. But I picked Bill Barnfield, and I picked him for a lot of reasons. One was he really helped me a lot. Myself, Al Merrick, Rusty, Glenn Minami, the list goes on. Right around 1977 or 78, Billy was basically, he took the keys from Tom Parrish. And, you know, Billy's just really one of those guys. I mean, he can be a little abrasive if you don't know him because he's so into researching. And he's right. You know, he's just, you look it up and prove me wrong is one of his lines, you know. Mm-hmm. And we used to ride motorcycles together, him, uh, Jerry, Lopez, a couple of guys. We, we had this trials, kind of like a trials club up above my house. And it was really cool to learn to ride these motorcycles over rocks and their trials bikes. Yeah. And Billy was my teacher. Right. You know, the rock was like as tall as I was. And I go, so how do I do this? He goes, just do it. You know, <laughs> He goes And he goes, because if you don't, then you'll never do it, you know. And so that's my relationship, why I picked him from Hawaii. And I don't think I'm picking anybody else from there. I don't know yet. I'm just going to let my heart, you know, tell me what to do. And the other p- person I absolutely pick for sure, and he's, he's already confirmed just like Bill, is Timmy Patterson for many reasons because I want to pick guys that are really good at hand shaping. And Timmy has contributed so much. He's definitely one of my best friends here. All my sanding pads are made by him. You know, he's, he's got a, sort he's of a, a unique lion. sanding pad, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. Doesn't he have like
1: a, the – isn't there something sort of unique about his sanding pads?
2: Well, he's got little tiny hands. And doesn't I'm,
1: he have the the one that like his hand actually like fits yes, inside? he does. It's he like a glove.
2: One, he has – he's an amazing, very innovative toolmaker. And when you watch him shape, he's just like this little elf dancing around. I mean, he's I great. watched him shape a board off his new machine that he's got with a new program. And he's trying to teach me. And I'm going to go into that. That's something I want to talk about because I'm – here in california and i'm like whoa so different now you know it's been six years but timmy's the guy and i think he can win this i think billy could win this and the other people i have from different countries you know we have people from japan we have people ryan who's an amazing shaper ryan birch so i I mean those are for sure those are four and i'm still kind of just waiting for you know my hit on who to pick
1: you know what's interesting is that we have to seed these guys in other words as you may or may not know, we have man on man heats. And they, one guy move, wins and moves on to the next round, much like a basketball tournament or a surf contest bracket, if you will. It's pretty good. So we have to seed them. We don't have to seed them because in my, I bring this up because I'm sensing that they're all going to be number one seeds. So Maybe you and I are going to have to just pull it out of a hat to see who to suggest. So it's totally and gets-
2: fair. Or, and we don't even touch the paper that gets pulled out, the longest straw, whatever. We'll get yeah. some cute girl to do it or something. You right. Know? And, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> you know, just to keep people on their toes, I mean, like since I last competed, because I took a couple, I told Scott, I, I, I get asked every time, I just can't go fast. I mean, sometimes it takes me an hour just to get the outline. Yeah. I'm not a fast shaper, you know, pre-shapes made it a little better, but I spent a lot of time programming. So I'm still spending time, but then, you know, I can make 10,000 of the same thing or just do alterations. So it is definitely the best way to get a consistent product is to have it cut. And, you know, with a new format, what I love about it is like we're going to have three boards. We can talk about this, right? Yeah. Just let's let's not say what the boards are going to be. No, we're not. That's my secret. (laughs) I'm not telling nobody. I mean, people can guess one of them, but the bottom line is I think it, having three chances in a sense, or at least the first guys are going to get weeded out and we're going to drop it down to four from eight. So whatever that board's going to be. I might make that one the hardest board. I already picked out one. It's a, you know, what to shape, right? Killer, killer. Yeah, it's just sorry, you know, whoever competes. Timmy will figure it out and Billy, you know, it's right. it's a pain in the ass to get it right. And I know what to look for. We'll have rocker template there and we'll have... Different things for judging. I think a lot of it's just what you see into the board, your first feeling. Yeah. I know that's how you judge. And yeah. I, I think I've talked to Marty Gilchrist and, and I've talked to before with Gary Linden. I mean, Gary's a really good judge. And Absolutely. You want to get the kind of guys that just aren't going to go, well, the rail just has a little bit more edge here. Well, so what? What's the whole board going to do? Is it going to ride the same as the board that I put out there? That's what I want. I want to get that vibe like this one will work, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, good. Um, I'm gonna throw a couple curveballs at you. Everybody does that. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, I I always present these like curveball questions to get my guests to speak, to talk, to get mm. relaxed, which is you and I are pretty good friends, and I know that I don't need to do this, but I'm gonna throw it at you anyway. Yeah, please.
2: Do you work out? Yes, I do. I do a couple of things. Um, I got in a workout class about ironically, Bill Barnfield called me up I and mean, he goes, Hey, you know, there's I can mention the names. It's Uncle Ray Beatty. It's uh, Jack Lutie. These are all guys I've known for like over 40 years in Hawaii. We kind of quote unquote grew up together. Of course, Ray's, he's 80, going to be 84, 85 in November, and he looks like he's 60. He's amazing. He's a really good uh, saxophone player. He's going to be playing on my my gig coming up Saturday as a guest. We're doing the 80th birthday party for Kimo Hollinger.
1: Oh, tell me about that. It, yeah, 80. so
2: he's 80, he's doing good, he's been a good friend, and my brother-in-law, Kuo Doa, has kind of been, you know, helping him, kind of cook cool like I'm doing a little bit with RB like that. Just, you know, I think it feels good, and calls known him forever, so we put it together. I got a couple of Blue Note musicians that I play with, and I just put together a really good band, and it's just going to be a great place. Everybody will be there that is involved in surfing not just in Hawaii there's guys coming from Japan and lots of guys from California yeah, yeah I would suspect possibly Greg Knoll or one of those kind of guys I don't know yet I don't know the guest list but we were trying to cap it at 200 and she goes the hardest thing is this is like a 500 person party and I go well you just gotta you know ask Timo yeah you know who do you want there you know so who do, who do you know that's already been confirmed that's like sort of well, and again, that's kind of not – I haven't really done that with her. I right, got her – right. my niece is an amazing video talk, uh, cinematographer, videos. She does everything for a lot of different people. So she's actually going to be documenting it, and she made a teaser. And then we haven't really gotten a guest list. I just put a couple people on I knew she needed to invite, and, of course, she was stoked. But that's just going to be a blast. I'm Where's supportive.
1: Kimo Hollinger in sort of the pantheon of, of iconic, legendary
2: Hawaiian surfers? That's a really good question. My feeling is he, there's like three people that I think carry a lot of weight and I'm not eliminating like the George Downings and the Buffaloes. I love those guys. And George has left us. Um, Kimo's still around. He's Portuguese. He looks good. And he goes swimming. My brother-in-law takes some swimming almost every day and stuff. And I I would think that he probably fits in there somewhere. If we had Duke out of the twenties, I guess that's a good timeline because he was born in 88 and then, 1888 was a long time ago, by the way. You know, he'd be 140-something years old, right? <laughs> but, yeah. you know, for the Hawaiians, I mean, people that we care about, like Eddie was a big deal because he was the soul. He became the soul, the same soul. In fact, I got a really bitching photo of him, of Duke and Eddie together, and he was so shy. And Eddie's just like, when I was groveling around in the early 70s, he kind of, I kind of got that he was okay with me, so I'd kind of sit over with him and, you know, pigeon... Watch this one. Go over this way. And so I'd follow him over to the point, right, and sit there and watch everybody get mowed. There's no surf leashes, you know. This was like, this was Wild West, you know. Yeah, yeah. And Uncle Clyde, too. He didn't say too much back then. But, you know, it was one of those things where Eddie was our spirit and Hawaii. And that's why we have the Eddie AI Cal every year and why, you know, Quick has tried to keep it going. And they, they finally figured out how to do this so everybody can be happy, you know, to keep the meat going. I think Kimo kind of fits in there somewhere. Everybody just knows him here in San Diego. I mean, he's got so much history, and he was an extremely good big wave rider. Yeah. Everybody just loved him. Portuguese people are really easygoing, and they seem to live a long time. They're really good. They're the plumbers and the electricians and those kind of people in Hawaii. They're really good at business. And everybody talks shit about him. Oh, that Portuguese, you know, because I'm the Portuguese myself. I'm the Howley version, you know. Right. But, yeah, so he's doing that, and, you know, that's a workout. Musically, I do that for my brain. Music is really important. But then, you know, to go to the gym, we have, you know, like I said, we were getting back to those people and stuff. I, I told Bill, I said, yeah, I'll go. And it's been amazing just for my brain because I was already really in good shape. I already lost a bunch of weight, and my goal was just to get back in the water. Yeah. And I think I'm pretty close now. I was like 90 days ago and I said, you know, by September I want to surf threes, Four to six feet on my longboard, and I'm making for that. And you know, I'll scale myself back down to a shortboard. Cool. That's good great. stuff. Yeah. Surfing's
1: really important. It's super good, right? Just for your mental, again. For this your is for, brain. For me, I, I feel for your spirit. You know, when you get it, even just going in the water, frankly. Like, it's cool that chemo's going swimming. I imagine, like, in the natatorium I mean, and the ocean. but He
2: can't. He just can't. It's too, he can yeah. lay on a board and paddle, though. Cole's been taking him out and stuff. And I think... People that love, like, Rabbit Kukai is another one, in my opinion, anyway. He was so important to me in Hawaii, he always treated me good. It's always funny. Like, I just always would bust me up and look at me and go, eh, look, look at that chick over there. <laughs> check her out, check her out. Quick, quick, quick. You know, he's like, he's hitting me. And I'm, so I always sat with him at the contest. And, you know, I enjoyed those 80s, Of there was a lot of people on my boards at that time. So, Rabbit goes, who do you think is going to win this heat? And there was four, four Rosses in the final. He goes, do you think you're going to have a board in the final? I go, I don't know it looks like, you know, unless somebody breaks something, right? It was, it was always like a mentor. So those kind of people are important to people that live in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an important um, aspect to everything. And so, you know, we just, we rever those people. Chemo is going to get honored. It's just going to be an amazing, I think it's going to be an amazing Saturday. It's coming up the 10th, just next Saturday. Cool. That sounds like fun. That sounds like an exciting time. I wish if you wanted to come, I'm sure you would be my roadie and we'll get you in. Because she was very, like, she's got good food being catered and stuff. She goes, I can't invite everybody, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's nice of you. It's an honor to be able to play for it. Um,
1: When was the last time you washed your car?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You just spit up a little bit, didn't you? (laughs) I I just, this tea's really good. It is um, it's funny here because your car gets so crap like within one day because of this dust that's going on right now. And like and then it gets kind of like the humidity and the marine band comes in and then that marine layer. And then the next day, and so it kind of bakes in this dust thing. And I have a black car this time. I just rented a car. I never washed it. It just <laughs> looks like, you know. And I'm driving this big old van. I got a bunch of pre-shapes in my car. I've been running all over San Diego getting boards cut and learning. So been a while
1: well that's a good segue actually because first of all that was a silly question but this i'd like to ask you a little bit about about the pre-shapes and the whole concept of guys that use planers and um because there's some shapers who simply have never used a planer and to be frank in this day and age you simply don't need to own a planer to shape a surfboard um do you think that people that are shaping surfboards that are building surfboards that have never played a surfboard are missing something? Or is that sort of an archaic old grumpy sort of folk tale?
2: You know what I think is really a good analogy. I like, cause I'm not a very good teacher. I give people way too much information. You know, you got a spoon feed and they can absorb it. I don't know how to do that, but so I'll use something else. Like, you know, um, I'm a musician. I played my whole life since four and we have a lot of, People, There's not too many keyboard players, but one of the teachers that I have has always maintained that you need to be a great keyboard player on just an acoustic piano, not transposing into different keys and stuff. And I think when you play acoustic piano, you. I sent you one of my recordings direct to cell phone because the other teacher I have, I did, I learned so much. That guy's an amazing teacher too. I have two really good ones. And I think that when you're a planing guy and you've had, I probably got 30 or 40,000 boards under my belt with a, Hand shaping, maybe more than that. I never really kept track like a lot of guys do. I think it's the same thing. I mean, you need to understand what you're building. You have to understand from the inside out. Because, you know, they have cubic volume now, and they have this and that. And some people go by look. Some people go only by measurements, which I think the computer made that part of it really easy. And sure, I see kids that, and I'm not going to mention names because I'd be unfair. In fact, one of the guys I'm copying his website is amazing. I don't know if he's ever shaped... I don't even know how good he surfs. He probably surfs good. He's really young, and he's doing extremely good. I look at guys like Timmy Patterson and Barnfield and some of my older teachers with like Phil Becker, Mike Eaton. Those guys were so good with their equipment, and they'd shape 25 boards a day. Not 25 a week, 25 a day. Phil Becker was the shaping machine, yeah. and they were really good boards. I mean, were they accurate? You know, they they were very even. With the bottoms a little different on each one? Maybe, but who cares? Just go out and ride it. It works? Oh, it doesn't work. Yeah. And that's when the computer could be good because you can pick stuff that really is like home runs. So-and-so rides this all the time. He loves it, so therefore let's sell it to the whole world. And that's how guys have marketed their boards is around a team rider and, and having it built off of the CNC, CNC machine.
1: I don't understand, and it's because I'm completely green to... I'm not a surfboard shaper. I think I've shaped one board in my life. But point is, how if you're not a guy that has ever planed a board, and you become a surfboard shaper, quote unquote, using a computer and a CNC machine, and they have great, um, what are what are they? What are those software packages called? They're like the A.
2: Well, the one we're the using a, now that I'm getting. Well,
1: yeah. So there's different formats. There's spot- so, so. My question is, how does a guy? create a foundation, like the first surfboard from which the rest of the surfboards are born. In other words... Oh, okay. But
2: in the digital domain, right? Yeah, in the digital domain. Like if I
1: don't have a planer, how do I become a shaper if I don't have a board that I'm
2: going to then have replicated in the machine? Well, I I think people can cheat a little bit. Maybe they grab... um, I I don't have to use a scanning machine, but I think a scanning machine is really good because it gets it within a thousandth of an inch.
1: So you're saying that somebody like me would buy the software... Find one of your boards well, you or whoever's. Yeah. Whoever. I mean, is that how they do it? Could it do just be your favorite I don't understand, board. That's my point. I don't understand how they do it. Well, you Do just they just get take
2: it. your board and scan it and call it their own? I think own? some people do. I've been copied a lot, and that's okay. I mean, I'm not like – this industry is so fragmented as it is. Uh, I mean, I guess it's an honor to be copied, you know. I mean, people copy my outlines for sure because that's one of my strong points. That's why – instagram i just post outlines does the
1: software come with a couple of boards prepackaged into it and you're like hey here's the fish here's the single thing really
2: you need to put something in oh really so and the way i do it is i measure everything and then i test cut it and i check it that's the best because it says what it says but the machines don't always give us what we think we're getting right because the blanks are really soft they do move um some of the machines i'm using here the cuts are really good here yeah so between KKL and Roughhouse, that's kind of my my deal. And right now, Roughhouse is looking after me. Um I'm having trouble with the new software, which isn't new. It's been around forever now. It's called Shape3D. And it, the problem is it's too easy. I'm one of those weirdos that super complex things I do really well, and super easy things, I'm clueless. It's just the way yeah. I am, you know. Yeah. And so, but I'm getting it finally. I had Ryan Sakel help me, Timmy help me. It's so simple, and it's so easy to make a really good surfboard. But I take it from another format that I'm really good on and just plug it into this format. And we just customize it a little bit so it works good in that format. And I'm getting sick-ass pre-shapes here. I'm really excited.
3: Cool.
2: It's good stuff. But you have to start with one board at least, and then you keep track of that. You just archive your information. Maybe it's the Scott Bass first try model, and then then it's the Scott Bass Rossin copy. And, you know, we have these... (laughs) You start building all these files and you've got to be, and this is where I feel like I'm proud of myself because I'm like a total out there mess of being able to archive the information. I can go to your board in one second if I know what your serial number is. And if not, if I know what year, I can go to that model and go, Oh, there's there's Scott's board right there. Like that in Paul we did a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really good. It's forcing computers are really good for my brain. Right. I don't think like most people, I've talked to you about what I work with and yeah. how I do it and stuff. And I think that, you know, for the average guy, if they can buy the software for 1500 bucks and they can practice cutting, yeah, they can get good pretty quick. But again, I, I come back to I have to start with some. something has to be
1: the keystone foundational board from mm. which everything else is born. There needs to be a Genesis board. And to me, that means that I have to get a planer and cut out a Genesis board. Well, you board. could. That's what Chris Christian, so I'm working Well, I mean, it at, seems like you have to. Like, I don't understand. Like, it doesn't seem fair to just take one of Chris's boards or your uh, board or Ryan Sakel's boards or whoever and just go, please scan this for me. This is my Genesis foundational board from which all of my boards are going to come from. Who am
2: I to say whether it's fair? I mean, I've asked a couple of my older friends that are still like Brewer. I was just with him two weeks ago. He came to Oahu, and we spent the morning together with his wife. And I go, Dick, what do you think about this computer stuff? He just looked at me and he goes, why not? You know, because <laughs> he's well, cut a million out. I'm not against it. I just no, don't no, understand no, I'm not either. how there's, I don't understand how, how can it be fair that they can steal a. Yeah, that there's we'll, not a let's foundation. Let's go buy a Channel Island and let's yeah, just copy is, that and yeah. then we'll change the tail. Well, I mean, that's what it is. And that's what happens. I tell people that come to me, I, I have a really loyal customer group. So it, it tends to grow because they talk to their friends and. People ask about them on the beach. How'd you get it? How long did you wait? What did it cost? You know, I get that. I'm lucky. I'm really lucky. Yeah. And, you know, I think the key is, is just that if you keep the archiving, like I can get a guy, like, say you just said, well, look, let's make another 6-6. Six, six. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, do you remember the serial number? And you either did or didn't, but I can get the board up. I'm on a on screen. I go, well, so what would you change after riding that board a thousand times? Yeah. You know, I think I'd thin the tail out, maybe put a little bit more tail rocker the last 18 inches, but just a touch. I mean, seriously. Yeah.
3: Boom. That's
1: it's so sweet. nice.
2: Yeah. yeah. To, if you use the the software properly and you archive every board you shape, I've got like I don't know how many on probably fifty at least. Do you have that
1: forefin that you did for me with um, Les like ten years ago?
2: Yeah, the Westlakey. Yeah. Do you EVF. have that? You I'm think? pretty positive I do. That was when Marcia Zubi was cutting my boards. Yeah. And that was an EPS board because I've been doing EPS for kite boards and stuff for a really a long time. I just never got good at it. Now. What's the prime
1: two components that make up a surfboard? In other words, what's the foam resin combination that you think makes the best surfboard? And we're we're gonna question or
2: well yeah, so we're competing with PU foam. Let's just talk about that. I like EPS a lot. I use the stuff that US blank sells, it's called White Hot. And it's an amazing product and you have to glass it right so it does have flex like a regular board, but you just have the lightness and the strength of something much better. um and i think less glass does that mean like a less glass schedule less weight on the inside of the board so it's hollow and all the strength on the outside so we put key like when i do my stand-ups and stuff or when i'm doing a board for somebody it's really good and i'm not mentioning names because all my writers if i mention that's illegal but i got some really good guys and the guys that are out at jaws or mavericks what you know they know yeah yeah. yeah. so that's all we're gonna say (laughs) about it but What we found is like with EPS, I think having the right blank, having the right density of foam and these guys, both Arctic, I was just with, um, with Andrew, the owner and Marty Gilchrist for Arctic. And then with Jeff yesterday, I had to pick up these rush gun blanks. I've got six huge guns I got to do before I leave Wednesday. And, um, Jeff puts a lot of energy in with Kim. Kim is the president. Jeff's vice president. They, and this is at always, US blanks. They're yeah. always tinkering. I mean, you know that. Yeah. And I'm sure that you know we they're need great. them. They've been our sponsors for the icons ever since I've been competing. Yeah, which has been great. Jeff took it on himself, and I think what's going on now is we have this amazing opportunity with the phone people. They're they're really actually figuring out how to get the cell structure to bind to itself stronger. So when you grab the blank as a shape blank and you crush it. Imagine a blanket's that maybe the guy doesn't want anymore, and you grab it. You could grab the new foam compared to what was going six. It's like twenty percent stronger now. Yeah, and it's wider. I mean, these guys are foam is really hard to do. Yeah, and they're getting it good. They're nailing it. Well, I mean, it's this tight industry. I mean, I hope you asked me about what I think about the industry because I think it's. What do you fragile. think about the industry, Pat? Well- <laughs> you know, because I traveled so much. I did the 25 country thing and I watched it really in 05 before it fell apart or started slowly unwinding. Um, You know, we couldn't make enough boards. Like in the 80s, I could not produce enough boards and I never wanted Ghost Shapers, so I just let my Pinocchio nickname come in and you know what? I I stayed true to myself. That's why I'm still kind of slugging them out now. But I found that um, the, the phone people now were selling less boards made in America. So... The foam is going up, resin materials with the suppliers are going up because they're not buying as much, and they got to keep their margins up. So if they were making maybe a 30% margin on blanks, or maybe they're making 40 now. So I'm here to tell people out there, board prices, not only from the shapers that should go up, I went up because the cost of living's going up, but just the price of the materials and producing a board here in the U.S., let's say, is going up, and it's going to be like that in Europe, Australia, everywhere. I think this is a good thing. It's a great thing. I think it's a great thing. You yeah. know, I compare Costco. I'm a Costco professional. I see all my friends that I never get to see on the North Shore that don't come to my gigs. I see them at Costco in Waipio, Hawaii. And I know my prices. If you say, oh, so what's a pound of this kind of coffee? Oh, that one's usually that one's like $11.99. You can get two pounds. That's a cheap one.
3: Yeah.
2: And I compare it to California. And guess what, guys? You guys are more expensive here than we are in Hawaii. How's that happening? You mean at Costco or in surfboards? I'm going to use Costco because everybody uses Costco. Yeah. I mean, most people. Some people just go to 7 Eleven. They don't know better. Whatever, it's yeah. fine. But when I, I like to get an idea. Gas here is about 15% more than Hawaii. Cost of living here is probably 10 or 15% more. Taxes, everything. You guys get taxed if you put trash cans out. I mean, so I think that what happens is I run into people and they go, you know, oh, you're $700 for a new board now? I mean, God, I can remember when you were – it wasn't that long ago you were 500 Well, go to McDonald's and It was 499 Now it's 6 bucks. you know. It's like the cost of living's going up. I think seven hundred's kind of low for a Pat Rosson. Well, people have to wrap their heads around it. You know, you have to be competitive. I, mean, I do boards are – If you go to Ride right now, a, a mm, clear – $900 bucks,
1: yeah, or 800 Yeah. I mean, yeah. You're looking at nine hundred to eight hundred bucks. I think like if you like a Channel Islands is probably seven hundred bucks for just a super clear basic thing, you know? And I
3: think that's, I think
1: that's where that's, you're getting back to your materials. So
2: let's give these people that are gonna spend that much a chance to ride the board for half a year, you know? I mean it's not a cheap sport, but it's a lot cheaper than motocross. It's a lot cheaper than gambling for sure. You know, it's like but it's good for us too. And so I think people go, Wow, eight hundred bucks, but I love surfing so much. And so us manufacturers, we manufacturers, I think we have a duty to, A, talk to your customer, either via Skype if they're somewhere really far away. You can do FaceTime. You can just text. I think they should get a piece of me. If they're going to spend the money and take the risk of getting a new board, I own that. And that's what I do. And that's why we're growing right now. They they need to ask a few questions because they're not sure. Well, they'd be silly not to get a board from you because I'm a huge... I know you've been been super heavy I mean I got guys all the time Joel all those guys it's just like you know it's like there's just a few down here but the people that have them are like good surfers and stuff and it's it's a great thing that's you don't need to advertise you don't have to do anything attraction rather than promotion word word of mouth type of thing you know
1: you mentioned that you're a musician and I find this to be really fascinating um tell me a little bit about you said you started playing music when you were four. How did this um, this lifelong love and fascination with, with playing music and expressing yourself in this way, how did this
2: come about? Well, I mean, the, the nuts and bolts was my next-door neighbor had a piano, and I used to like the bass notes a lot. So this was like 1958, yeah, about 58. And so I started picking stuff off the radio and playing it on my next-door neighbor's piano, and she – Finally, my mom came over to find out where I was, and she goes, you know, Jane, my mom's name was Jane, she goes, you should let your son play. Listen to what he's playing right now. He just, I just played something on the, she had a phonograph, and it happened to be the Baby Elephant Walk. Remember the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun? Remember that yeah, song? Yeah, yeah, And I could play it note for note, and that was in 59. I was five. That's when that song, Dr. Zhivago, that whole thing came out. So anyway, long story short, I have this uncle that has been my, guy took care of me and he believed in me and he bought me a piano it was just you know not an expensive one but i had a piano and i took through catholic parochial school first through eighth grade i played i had to take lessons and compete in concerts and all that stuff i'm not that guy i'm not a competitor you know that from just a shape off but what it did is it forced my brain to get into the music why is this played this way you know and i have like a photographic memory that's my strength my weakness is yeah, I'm really ADHD. It's gotten worse as I've gotten older, you know. It's a genius trait, but it's also something you have to have an awareness of. And I think the music when I go into my music, my I'm, my brain just shuts off, and it's the most amazing thing. Even if I'm in front of five thousand people, when that happens, you know, a couple times a year in Hawaii, we do heartball ball and some of the big things in like the Hilton uh, or the Sheridan ballroom and. I think for me um it's good for me to get if I get 25 minutes a day even, everybody says well do you meditate or do you do yoga or do you? I like all that stuff but I think music kind of encompasses everything sure because it it totally uses the right side of my brain which is all I got my left side is this little skinny wimpy <laughs> <laughs> pack can you add up this all these I mean I just pay somebody you know to do the hard stuff and then the easy stuff is thinking up a new design or Maybe like that song I showed you, you know, that intro. It's like that just comes naturally to me. And it's so cool. First you know? through
1: eighth grade, you had basically music theory kind of hammered into you, I'm assuming. If you yeah. were taking music classes in a
2: Catholic school, you were, so you have this
1: incredible
2: foundation in music theory. I can't read. I'm, like I, my sight reading, if I have something to do that's exotic and I get those calls and I usually say no because I know I'm going to have to go home and I'm going to have to, if they want it note for note, I'm going to actually have to pencil in. I'm a poor sight reader. I have relative pitch, which is a gift. I have huge hands, and I can hear something once and pretty much play it, yeah. and know what key it's in. Right. And that's huge. That's yeah, that is huge.
1: huge. That's God given. And then you have some yeah, basic. Yeah, you're born with it. You have eight years, nine years of theory underneath that. Yeah. And well, now jazz you get to-
2: teaches you a lot. I love jazz. Even in the '60s, you know, I used to get on my bike and go down to the lighthouse and stuff. Against my parents, never knew or I would have taken the bike and you know locked me up. But, but I love jazz and. Um, jazz teaches you a lot of things you know it starts off one four five you know when everybody you listen to people that are playing music they play an e it's like dun 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 dun. then they go up to the four dun 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 dun, dun. you know it's an a you know they all do that there's patterns and i love patterns my brain is really good with patterns and that's all shaping is is patterns and percentages and music's the same who's
1: who like rings true to you as as a you're like i I hate to i hate to say favorite jazz musician or who's but i'm going to say it anyway who's your favorite jazz musician because i know it's really hard to boil it down
2: well i'll go by different categories my very most important guy that i get emotional when i hear him is a guy named louis armstrong we all know and love louis pops Yeah. yeah and what i loved about his particular style um was that he could play a couple of notes and it was like it was like a whole band was playing. There was so much expression of how he go do, 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 do. And I listen to that. I go, oh, my God, I go back on this is when we had records. <laughs> we didn't have all the shit we Some had. Some of now. us still have records. I used to spin <laughs> records at 16, and what it did is it slows it down half and brings it down an octave. So I learned all of Chicoria's solos and stuff in the 70s. We didn't have any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then digital came in in the 80s, and then now you just so easy like you know it's kind of like shaping It was hard to shape good boards in the 60s and 70s when i started the blanks were covered with brown paper and you know it was a lot of work you know and you had to have like you said your templates and you had to know what to make and but now you know you can digitally just take that board in or i could listen to a song and maybe put it on ireal pro and i can loop it and just play along with it on my acoustic grand i have a really good grand piano upstairs and i love going up there and just sometimes i just put my my airpods in And use my phone for it. But that's how I practice now. Mm -hmm. And as far as guys, Louis was the guy, you know, and now I have these incredibly good musicians just in Hawaii. Um, I'll mention his name. I don't think he minds. Um, His name's Reggie Padilla. He's from New York. He's lived in Hawaii for about 10 years. And he's been my teacher. It's just he wanted a board. And we were like, I've known him. We did stuff, you know. And now I got him helping me. Well, guess what he's doing? All the crap that I hate. Okay, you gotta play this. To build your fingers up. Because teachers are supposed to make you do things that you hate doing. Right. That's the only reason you need a teacher. Otherwise, you can just play the same three chords and stand, you know, and we talked about that, you know, get it going with a looper. And you can get really good that way too. But when you get into the structure and you understand why you're playing it and you learn to play it in all keys, that's what I did with my shaping. I just learned how to play. I'm using music as an analogy. It's better. But I learned to play different styles of surfboards because, you know, there was the shortboard and then there was like this Mark and Buttons things that we did. And then there was the Tom Carroll thing and the Tommy Curran thing. So I learned how to build those and turn those into models yeah. without really mentioning the team riders because I, I wasn't paying those guys, but they were riding my boards. Yeah, And so it's like getting back to music and the parallel. It's just like if you get good at jazz, you could easily sit in on a rock gig and the only – Stuff I just turned down because I'm not very good at it. I don't like it. No offense to people that like rap. um, I just don't play, like, a rap style, and I don't play any reggae style. I'm really not interested. I love jazz. Yeah. And I love shaping guns. Jazz and guns go together. Do you listen to jazz when you shape? Do you listen to music when you shape? Hell yeah. Every time? I don't know if I can shape without it. I mean, yeah. you talk about addictions. I have an addictive personality. And I think the best thing that ever came into my life, because I always listen to music just from speakers and stuff, was when the Air the AirPods came out. Because yeah. I can have my phone charging over on the side there, and the AirPods charge up in 15. I can get like two boards out and I can listen to whatever I want. I listen to podcasts all the time. I listen to YouTube for stuff I'm interested. I'm going to college right now while I'm shaping surfboards. What about um, Miles Davis? Oh, I think Miles. (laughs) So, you know, we always have people we can compare. I don't want to compare them though. That's rude. But Miles was a renegade. He was so good. He was a guy that could just do what he wanted on stage and people put up with his, he was an asshole. Who's the Miles Davis of shaping? I don't wanna say that. It's too
1: rude. No, we don't or want even to say that. a surfing no, no, you're right. for that matter. You're right. It's just not fair. Yeah. I
2: mean not, people are listening. No, there's none. Yeah, there's I, none I my big mouth can get me in so much trouble. I'm always conscious. I think it's textual to say that Miles Davis is one of the greatest greatest jazz trumpeters ever besides Louis Armstrong and that he innovated along with Dizzy Gillespie and some other people, Charlie Parker. They were the innovators of Bebop. What was Bebop? Well Bebop was probably when we were surfing these lawnboards and people were getting clobbered on the head out at sunset. And a guy named Dick Brewer came along with other guys, differenter, they're all there. But we made the modern minigun. And to me, bebop was the modern minigun of music because everybody's just playing the dun da dun da dun, dun, you know, the big band. I love Duke Ellington, he's my favorite. Yeah. But bebop came along and all of a sudden it was like a short board. Guys were hitting the lip and, you know, in the 60s. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, could you see it? not happening i mean you look back and go i mean what would he have done without this shortboard? you know yeah we'd still be riding these logs and now i'm watching people riding logs and i'm loving it i mean i'm selling boards that i was made in the 70s that were really popular and i have all my notes people want that and yeah. they're willing to pay for it yeah and if you weren't there shaping it you're not the guy you know exactly and then we die i mean that was the other thing the cbd thing i told you about i'm trying to help my friends because i'm going to a paddle out once every month at at hawaii or asked to do one here i just had one for tommy ortner down at uh you know people die and it's like oh my god so you want to support your artists you know i'm not saying to support me but there's guys out there like skip fry and Rennie Yator. these guys are guys that did so much, paid their dues, and they deserve whatever they get. Yeah. They are the real deal. Yeah, you can't be those guys. There's only one Skip Fry. There's only one Rennie Yator. Yeah. There's only one Pat Rawson. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm not that I'm saying I'm going to die, but we're all going to die, <laughs> right, guys? <laughs> we're all going to die.
1: Well, that's interesting you bring that up because I know you have a real interest in sort of the metaphysical world and, and astrology, and I'm wondering where your interest in that came from and how that's developed in your life. Well,
2: you know, it's something, I was raised a Catholic, and I, I honestly, I was never an altar boy, but I'm not much of a joiner. I mean, I was in the North Shore Christian Fellowship, and that was a great experience. In fact, the pastor and I, Mike i are still really good friends. But I think inside, I, I'm a very spiritual person, and that works for me. Everybody's got their way. Some are they're atheists, and then there's some that are full-on born again, and then there's people that are kind of just exp- doing their thing. Um, I think astrology was really interesting. Again, it all comes down to patterns and numbers. And while I can't do trigonometry, I was really good at geometry. (laughs) And that's all it is. It's just angles and why it works. Jeez, I mean, if I had a buck for every time people ask me, like, well, that's amazing you can do that. I mean, why does the sun come up every morning? Why does when the moon has a pull on the tides? I'm positive that astrology is very much about those things, the magnetism. Who thought it up? How'd they figure it out? I don't know maybe it's better it's better not better not better not to, not to ask too many questions you know? <laughs> like when that. you get spiritual you can go well it is because it is well that's where faith comes in right exactly and that's a really important thing and i think surfers understand this at, at a primal level there's faith hope and love we love what we love i'm a really really passionate person to a fault
1: what about people that um, believe that the earth is flat do you have any time for this these flat oh, earthers no. i've seen kelly slater kind of chime in on on it I, not that he believes in that, but he's gotten involved in the conversation with so-called flat earthers. And it yeah, that seems like interesting a run thing. around, you know, like chasing a cat through a cat a Well, box. I think
2: everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got a rear end too, you know. It's kind of like I think everybody. <laughs> I knew you'd love that. That's my mom's my mom's expression. I, I was real close with my mom. You know, I, I had good family and good parents and stuff, and you know, they taught me how to work at a young age and supported me. You know. Um, I think in looking at it, you know, it's like it's okay for somebody to have an opinion. I mean, I've met some really famous guys. I'm not a name dropper or a star effer at all. And um, I always found that the people that had their convictions, the main problem with them was that they were addicted to them. Yeah. And I think we can all have opinions. Like if the earth's flat, I mean, I would like to know why you think that. Show me the evidence and then I could go, wow, you're right. I mean, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. And so I try to do that with everything. It's like instead of going, why, I'm just more of a why not kind of person. Yeah. And I think the spiritual side of things can be that. I think we can be very much tuned into God, whatever our God is, and we can put it into our work, whatever our work is. I mean, you're that way. You're a Christian. Your heart's in the right spot, dude. That's why I'm here with you. I don't mess around with people. I mean, there's a lot of, can you do this? It's like, nah, I'm not really the guy for that, you know? Yeah. But I know you're spiritually and passionately about this and I think what's up and this is what I want to say right now, that what we're doing in Del Mar and possibly Japan and wherever we go in Europe or whatever happens with that, this is about supporting an industry that has really taken a, a pretty heavy hit and there's reasons for it. And I'll just say it quickly that, you know, when you look at you just look at history and you look at statistics and you look at baby boom and you look at these different cycles, you know, we got the Grubby was always really good. Gordon Clark was a genius. He got in. He did a great job better than anybody else could do, and he wrote it up, starting from the mid to late 60s. I mean, it gidgeted, and then it went up. Then there was the soul thing with Jerry, and then there was Larry Bird. And we couldn't make enough boards by 1980. Why? Because my age group was ripe for those boards. So why did it go go south? Is it because of China? Hell no. China does one kind of stuff product really well you know it gives a middleman a chance to make money is what i think but anyway that's just my opinion but i think what happened more than anything is that our age group got too old to serve I, i'm really fit i'm in my top five percent for my age but i go to my reunions and i look around people that are 65 now they look like they're 90 i got friends that are 40 that play music and They look like they're 80 you know i mean yeah. it's just so i'm not saying you should all go get out there and ride a bike or whatever, but yeah, go out there and serve. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Your brain will just, thank you so much, you'll just get things that you would have never gotten, but you got to get out there. That's the hard part. Faith, hope, and love, right? Yeah, I love Faith, it. if I go out, I'll love what I'm doing and I'll become a better person, which will give me hope for the future. That's perfect right there. That's yeah. what I want to say. Perfect.
1: Theboardsource.com. A vast collection of used longboards, fishes, alternative craft, retro surfboards, unique collectible surfboards. They always seem to have a nice skip fry available. And they have new equipment as well. Theboardsource.com. Do yourself a favor. Check out theboardsource.com. They update their website daily. The Theboardsource.com. And now back to the podcast. I'm going to jump into a different region because I know that for a while you were pretty interested in the commodity, well, in the market, in buying and selling options. And now I think you're involved in commodities on some level. That's very interesting. You know, a a shaper that's a surfer that's into the markets that plays music. Can you give me a little bit of insight into what got you interested in the
2: marketplace and, and your involvement with that? I've always been fascinated with trends and why they, because basically if you learn about trading, I've been at it pretty long now, I think 20 something years, 24, 23. And, and everything that you learn when you first start, you know, it's like if you're lucky you get a mentor and they teach you what not to do. And once you know what not to do, then the, becomes a little easier to go, you know, like don't cross a double yellow line and head right toward the car on the opposite lane. Cause you're going to die. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> so in trading people, for some reason, their egos keep them from being better, but you know, you learn to be a trend trader. What is the trend, you know? And I've always been fascinated with trends in music. I've always been in shaping and you know, it's always kept me young and brain and spirit. And I think the markets to me is just like surfing in music. You can never master them. Because they're always changing. Like the market, in my opinion, whatever market you're going to, whatever industry you're going to trade is like the ocean. Like right now, it's really pretty out in front of your house because I made the wrong turn. I almost got to the ocean. Went, hey, I know he's back here somewhere. So I turned around. Um, you know, it's always changing. And so I happen to really have a, an addiction to things that I can't master. Whether it's music, there's stuff in classical. Those guys were amazing. How did they figure this stuff out? And I can barely figure it. And I've been playing my whole life. And this is like something that Bach did like 500 years ago, right? Where was his brain? Where did he get all his information, you know? So I just think the markets to me are fascinating. It's like going fishing or having an avocado tree. When you know it's time and you go out there, you can pull avocados. You don't trade every minute of the day. Those people are, they die young. Yeah. You just yeah. wait for the good stuff. Right. That's all you have to do. And yeah. you have to be around people that trade. So when I'm active, I'm in a trading group that's about 1100. So we're all Skyping each other, and there's a guy who's a mentor, and it's fun. Yeah. But I got to get up in Hawaii at 3 in the morning. Oh, yeah. 2.30, yeah. actually, if I want to be ready. And depending right. what I'm doing, if the futures market, I just trade the London market, which yeah. is perfect. That's like 8 or 9 o'clock my time in Hawaii uh, is when, the, the say, the oil and the gold markets open up. And I've taken a year, taken a year and a half off. I both my 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 wife's parents passed away; they were sick, yeah. and I just, you know, I'm that kind of guy. I mean, I did her mom, and she did her dad, and we just tried to make that last time. So yeah. I took it's really good. I took time off. I don't know. Yeah. If I'm going to get back in for a while. Yeah, I like sleeping in. <laughs> right for sure. And I'm not here. I'm working my butt off with right. all these boards and stuff in Chris's room, moonlight, but. Um it's just a cool thing. And I think, you know, I'm glad you asked me. I mean, I couldn't tell anybody, oh yeah, you should do it, but some of the guys I know in surfing and I'm really respectful of like Shane Dorian knows what's up. Yeah. And I know John Carper's been trying. He used to always ask me, and he was doing Forex. I can't do Forex. It's liquid, it's cool, but it's just it's kind of a crapshoot. And I told him for me, either just like doing options, which is a much safer way to make money if you know what you're doing. But the best is just wait for the good ones and do futures because the leverage is huge. Yeah. You know, a thousand can turn into ten thousand very comfortably. And if you have a way of protecting yourself, you know, I'll risk a thousand, but I'm only going to lose at the most. I only want to use 200 of that, which is reasonable, you know. So you can make a system that works for your your personality, your risk tolerance. I'm yeah. not a gambler. I'm not, I'm really shitty. Yeah. I like things that kind of make sense. And then if this does this and this does this, and probably, and I say that word in a good way. <laughs> and it's the same in shaping when I'm changing the design. If I do this and this and the guy comes back and goes, Hey, then I'm going to try this. So it, it teaches you that. I'm
1: you know? sure that I'm going to assume that you've made a couple dog surfboards in your day. <laughs> I'm wondering, have you, have you, Have you taken a pretty bad hit on the markets before where you kind of had to step
2: back and go hold on In trading? Yeah. Yes. Well, not me so per se because I trade with small amounts. Like 14 was a really good year. Yeah. It just was amazing because the dollar moved, the most it's ever moved since 1965 is when the Beatles first came to America. So everything was priced in dollars. Dollar was going up. I never trade the dollar. But everything else that was, you know, like basically the euro went down, like, I don't know, 50%. Oil went down fifty percent. Commodities went down because it's priced in dollars, you know. So that was that was basically what happened. Is like the dollar moved and it just killed the foreign countries that owe us money. Because imagine if your car loan and it's set at let's just say it's set at ten percent, and then somehow the interest rate changes and then it pops, which is what they had to do to slow the economy down. Let's say they push it to thirteen, and that three hundred you're paying all of a sudden went to three seventy five. You're going. Wait a minute! I thought. I, no. Look at your loan. That's his. That's on. It's hooked into the interest rates. Yeah. They're always APR because they don't want to take the risk. Why should they lose money? They're business people, right? And so, I mean, I think the long story short is like the markets can teach you a lot if you have a mind and you know. So, are you saying that you have had? No, I've never actually taken hits. I'm like really a careful trader and I think I'm a careful shaper. I don't take big risks. Yeah, you know, the biggest yeah. risk I ever took was <laughs> going into your competition and knowing I couldn't get a board done in an hour and a half. I mean, I just, I guarantee you it'll be almost done and it'll have all those, like the MR with all the pieces of foam missing. I probably would have fixed it if it would have been a regular board and just made another one for that guy. Because yeah. I could have just been the blank. I mean, we don't know what it was. No, for
1: sure. I mean, many people are going, who cares about the, the, the aesthetic of it, the board—he nailed
2: it. Yeah. What was cool about Murr is He just sort of—that was the board. He goes, but they were really like, yeah, I don't know, who shaped this? You know, I won't mention some of the other competitors. There's just there's so many good guys. I well, mean, I mean,
1: I think the judges, right? Were Mark uh, Richards, obviously. Yeah, I'm
2: trying to remember. And was Rick, Marty- Rick
1: Rock and I think Oh Biola, yeah, Rick Rock. I think Matt was
2: involved too. I think
1: mm. in judging.
2: Yeah, my Matt Biolas was there. I think that was the three judges. And that's who Mark works with in California, and they've done a great job
3: for him. Yeah. You
2: I know, can, Mark
1: watched every single one of you guys' shape. Like, he literally had his eyes glued to the shaping bay for, you
2: know, out, every every guy. He I, was into I, it. Mark was always, like, back in the 70s, I, I lived at Chun's, and he lived at Audrey Sullivan, um, Sutherland, Jock's mom's house. and It was just right across the, where the parking lot when you come and park your car. So- Audrey was over to the, the left, and I was over to the right on an unreal beach house. I mean, everybody left their boards and their mark and buttons, Burlman, whoever was kind of at that time around and about at Chun's, they all came to my house. You know, it was the perfect beach hangout. But I'd always see Mark out there ripping, and finally I saw him ripping on this twin fin. And I had a twin fin that was not sophisticated like his, because I always have made fish. And I saw him, and he saw me, and he goes, "Let me see this thing." So he, you know, he just remembers, you know. And I, I was going, "Dude, I really like this." And it was really Brewer that got him on the, put him on there. Yeah. And he paid Brewer—I don't know what he paid—but he paid to go sit in the room. So when you say he watched each one of us, I think he looked at it like he used to have to pay a hundred bucks to watch somebody. He was just digging watching me. And I know Reno competed. Wasn't Reno in that I one? Believe he was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was totally into that, and. I mean, that's the way Mark is. He's just a good student. He's got a lot of discipline. Yeah. That's why he was such a great surfer. He just really didn't use drugs. He was that guy that went to bed early, and he has always had back problems. But I've I've been friends with him since then, and what a good person, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That was one of my favorite shape-offs, you know, is that one.
1: It was really cool. We had a great dinner together, and it was fascinating getting to sit with my – you know, I was – a. 14 year old kid when he was in his heyday so i was just i mean i ate up everything mark richards but enough about me speaking of great surfers tom carroll um his hawaiian boards i've spoken with tom about the boards that you've made him and, and tom's eyes light up and tom's as you know he's a very charismatic character anyway very
2: passionate. but but
1: i mean when he talks about pat ross and, and pat ross and surfboards he just glows Tell me a little bit about your relationship with Tom Carroll, how it started, how you got to make him some boards on the North Shore. Explain that a little bit.
2: Actually, how it started was one of my good friends, Mike Rogers, who was glassing my boards. He was Bill Barnfield's glasser at the time, but he had broken off. And him and Tom somehow are really good friends, maybe from the Bill Barnfield days. But anyway, Mike called me and he says, you know, Tom broke his last board and I think it was a rusty or something. And he goes, I just mentioned it. maybe you'd be in a them a board or a couple of boards. And so we made three. That was in 1986, not 85, 86. Because I was mostly with MR, and MR did really good on my boards. And that's why Tom was already kind of going, what about this Rawson guy? You Because know? I had the local market pretty sewn up. And you know these guys would come from Australia, and they'd have boards made from there, from California. And they, some of them worked. I mean, there were some good shapers. Like Rusty made great boards. I was yeah. just... He was really good at making a sunset board or a pipe board, but Alan Byrne maybe. Oh, Alan was always. But Tom just, was on the Byrne label, but you, that you were making them. Okay, so that's a misnomer. That Alan Byrne and Phil Byrne are guys. two different families, yeah. but same cousins probably from back in Ireland or whatever. You yeah. know, you know how they say <laughs> that about the the Irish. And uh, I'm I'm Ross and Retreat. We're cousins from I don't know how far back, but we're cousins and. Um, so, you know, it was kind of like this thing with Tom and Mike. So Mike got it going. Tom, did he come? By? Yeah, I think he just, Mike said, oh, I think Tommy's going to come by. And I was working at that time. I was still, wasn't working in my house yet. I was working in Brian Stratt's room, which is right there at Sunset Point. He kind of keep the riffraff out for me, and it was perfect. I could get a lot of, cause I was doing a lot of boards, all hand shaping. So Tommy comes back there and, hey, man, you know, and I Tom, cool. And I just liked him right off. I think we kind of bonded. Like, I was doing all the talking, and he'd be just, like, listening and fielding my talking and stuff. But so passion. Like, my passion met his, and that's why we... I, I'm not a star effort, like I told you, but Tom's just been a good friend. I watched him go through some really heavy stuff. He's just lost his father. I mean, when his, when his sister got killed in a car accident, Tom actually won the event. I might be wrong if he won it, but he dedicated his performance. He was devastated. yeah. And I was at my house. I just remember that day, and I remember giving him a hug. I go, it's going to be okay, man. Just get out there and do it. Yeah. And he killed it, as he always does at pipe. You yeah. know, That wasn't a snapback year. That was before all that. But yeah. Tom was really important, and it, and it just seemed like it led. I had Marty Thomas, who was sort of my rookie of the year guy, and a bunch of other guys. And then they sort of brought all the Dumas and the Bartons, and all those guys were just like kind of interested in just like, why? Let's check it out. Yeah. So I had a great run, you know. Yeah. Supposedly they say I was the king of the 80s. I don't think there was a king of anything, but yeah. I just had a really good run for about 10 years and was able to sustain it until I decided it was time to get off the stage. Yeah. You learn that in music. If you played an, an unbelievable song and everybody soloed well, what's the next best thing to do? Get the hell out of there. Yeah. If you just won, like you invested $1,000 in a trade and you just won six grand, you know what you do? You get off the stage. Yeah. You know, it was time to get off the stage. So I traveled. And I went, it was like going to school. But Tom really put me there. And I think that um, along with Tom Curran, he was always interested. There was a whole bunch of guys that were interesting to work with because they were so, Derek Dorner. I mean, we're just talking about guys from other places. Derek Dorner was huge. Tony Moniz was huge. I mean, all that locomotion stuff, we were the best company in the world at that time. Yeah. We had like 11 shapers and we couldn't make enough boards. And Rob, the founder, we started together in 1977.
1: Yeah. That so was it was insane, so right?
2: different than it is now. Now it's like all these big companies are just kind of, I wouldn't say they're fragmenting, but they're just going back to what they should have been all along. Yeah. I started in a garage.
3: Yeah.
2: And so did Brewer and so did all these guys. And then they turned into this big thing in the 60s and now it's kind of come back to, making good boards again yeah. and dealing with a customer. It's a cool thing.
1: What about Ronnie Burns? That When you said local motion, that, he, he kind of
2: jumped into my brain. Rob Burns?
1: Rob Burns. Yeah. No, no, Ro, uh,
2: Ronnie is – Ronnie. Okay, so that's Bosco's son. Bosco's one of my – he passed, unfortunately, from cancer. Did you shape Ronnie some boards? Yeah. yeah. Well, he was writing for Eric Arkell, but because I was working with Mike and Derek Ho, who've always been just super supportive, both of them. I learned so much about rails and shaping and – Taking the board and like it's all done and I've signed their name and Derek would come in there and he go eh I go what and he goes this isn't the rail I go what do you want me to do he goes I don't know it's just not the rail I said all right let's do it and I just keep going down like a rail it was so fine because he rode these really small rails and it worked good for his style yeah and so it taught me you know what when I think it's done just put it over the side even if it's a stock board just grab it one more time you're always probably gonna find something like that business part of the board the last third or maybe you want to put. They concave a little different. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to fix boards and make them work better at yeah. that stage, at the very end. You can do stuff. You know? How many
1: boards were you making for Tom Carroll at the prime? Because I'm thinking, and the, I guess my question, let me back up a little bit. I think about the board, the Snap, right? The, board, the Snap heard around the world, so it's called, on one of your boards. So I'm imagining that Tom Carroll probably calls you and goes, hey, I'm coming to Hawaii, make me 10 boards or something like that. And it just so happens that one of them is this board that be that's really gone down and, and it, it's it's just a famous surfboard. So tell me about the snapboard and a little I, bit about that. I mean, I, did I you think, think it was a special board or was it just one of the ten no, that you made? I mean, honestly,
2: I, I think it's nice to talk about. People should know about that era because that was like 91, 92. So I started traveling and I, I went to Europe the first time. I'd never been. I went to Paris where I'm, my grandfather's from and kind of kissed the ground. I mean, I, I expected different than what I thought. It was a little bit not as friendly as I thought it would be, but I dug being foreign, and, and it was with Maurice Cole. And at the time, um, Maurice hadn't invented the reverse V, but he was getting ready to, and he was working with Tom. Um, so that particular era of boards I was making for Tom in Hawaii came back from the Maurice, because I started doing reverse Vs with Morris. We were, like, trying to figure out how to do it, like, well... He had this weird board that was twisted from Tom Kern. He grabbed it and looked at it. I think it was a twisted blank that never got done. And so he took the twist out, which actually put the V, just took it out from one side of the board and reshaped the rails. And the back didn't have any V. It was a He changed everything. Yeah. It was really a big change because all of us were putting panel Vs and Kind of a constant, like what I'm doing now with all my, I don't like to call the word R-E-T-R-O. I don't call it that. Right. It's just vintage. If you want a, 70, a 1972 type pintail, I have my notes for that.
3: Yeah.
2: It's legit. You know what I mean? But I think Morris turned it all around. He went and said the Vigo's in the front and the tail because Tom went out and just <laughs> annihilated with it. Yeah. I mean, that picture of him at back door, that yellow. I took Tom to the airport that morning. The, pop, the thing is all his stuff was late he was supposed to compete the Pipe Masters. And I, he comes over and he goes, uh, <laughs> I had a Volkswagen, man. Uh, yeah, uh, I think there's boards I'm supposed to pick up. And I go, well, so what, you want me to go down there? And he goes, no, no, I'll go with you. And I goes because I think you have to sign for it. That was before 911, but you still had to be the guy and ID and everything. So we grabbed these boards and there's crap all over, tearing all this shit out of the place so that he could just go to straight to the con. That was a Maurice Cole. And that ushered in the reverse V, and to this day, I mean, the contemporary boards don't generally have V in the tail. they got maybe a double concave back there, and there's a single concave. That was sort of the Kelly era that ushered in that style of board, and that is a great design for a certain type of surfing. But Tom was a front foot guy. He was a skateboarding. If you watch all his pictures, he's always digging his heel in and wheeling the board off the top. He was like he surfed like he was on a skateboard. Yeah. So all boards I ever made, I'm, I had wider noses, and I ba- basically put the curve further up. Tom's curve was further back where there was like a little bend in front of the fins because mm. he just, you know, Tom's just like, look at his left, is it left leg or right leg? His left leg is like still, even to this day, it's like 20% more muscle there. Wow. He's a powerhouse, dude. And that guy is, for how small he is, he's not small. He puts yeah. a lot of torque into those turns he does. You know? Yeah. But I mean, honestly, those things that all came about to that era of that particular board in 1991, and I remember sitting there, I was talking to Jeff Bushman, he goes, oh, hey, here comes Tom, I would have missed it. We were just talking about something. So I turned around, and as I turned around, he was doing that bottom turn, and he just hooked it, and the beach just went like crazy. Yeah. So thanks to Jeff, I didn't actually miss that live, because we were, I don't know what we were talking about. He had one eye on the surf, and we were talking about boards or blanks or something, and I mean honestly that was a big deal. I and mean, we make a lot of those replicas. Yeah. We do. And I give Tom money. I think he you know, he never has to pay for any boards. It just covers everything whether it's I'm making him a couple of balsa boards. You didn't hear that. <laughs> um I'm I i want to give him some cool yeah. things for being so loyal to me, yeah. you know. Well, I got, we're hoping
1: to bring him over for the event
2: somehow. You know? I would love to have that would be Tom. Cool to and I think happen. he would come for sure, especially if he has business he can do here. I mean, Tom's involved. Not just with quicks. He does everything. He's got a lot of things he does. He helps people that have problems. He does the, is it the, called the, not Maori, what is that called? Maoli, Ola. Yeah. Mauliola, he's yeah, involved the with cystic that. cystic
1: fibrosis. Yes, yeah. yes.
2: I mean, he donates a lot of his time, and he is definitely at his age, and I won't say what it is, People love him because he gives. He's a passionate giving person. I
1: think he's involved in Surf Aid International, too, which that I'm on the too. board of. I think he's, yes, he's yeah. involved
2: in that in, yes. in some way, too. I mean, I, I respect people like that that have achieved in their industry and actually go above and beyond. And I guess those guys motivated me. That's why I do what I do privately. And I think we're all supposed to help one another. I think we're supposed to love one another. Yeah. You know, And if we can love one another by just me making you a good board that you love so much that that's my sh- my love. Here you go. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's great. You know? yeah, and Tom sure. was all about that.
1: I asked you a question earlier, and, and we got kind of sidetracked. But what do you think are, are the best components for a surfboard? In other words, I personally have always, I, I don't know if I'm old school or this is just what I'm used to, but I like poly-poly. I like polyurethane foam, and I like right. polyester resin those things seem to be dampening and they seem to be soft and they seem right. to kind of fit my thing. And if I get a an EPS board that's, that's long, like say a long board, it it feels a little kind of like yeah. smacky and sort of, you know, so I don't know you, you, what is your opinion on this? Cause I know you work with a lot of different materials.
2: Well, all right. So, I mean, honestly, if you're a guy that you're bored hitting the chatter, like Hawaii, we have a lot of surface distortion or bumps and epoxy boards can they're kind of more of like here's here's a regular board here that's a well actually a regular board's probably more like and then the EPS board is this so when you're in the chop EPS boards make a lot of noise yeah you know and i know people and i'll just mention kai lenny just because i I have a good run with him he's a good kid and he's he really he goes i like that that gives me my i hear that he likes eps and so i think it comes down to the customer i learned how to make eps so that it can flex like i've made 22 pound boards for jaws out of blanks it only weighed two pounds but we put 70 layers and we did certain things the way we glassed it yeah. with little stringers so it was like a hollow surfboard wow they're amazing yeah but you know, for a guy like you, Scott, I mean you're you're a guy that probably enjoys the dampening, like you call it, or I would say it's like playing an acoustic piano with a damper pedal. If you're playing a passage, it smooths out, you use the damper, and that one song I sent you, there's a lot of damper in there using it so that the chords hold and you hear the resonance of the piano. And then you're playing a like say a synthesizer and it's just da, 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 like a machine gun. Yeah. You have to use both of them, I think, and, and it just gets down to your personal preference. Yeah. I wouldn't try to con you into getting an EPS, you know. No, I, mean, I don't, why I, don't I, mind I? I have
1: I have some EPS that I like. In fact, and and I, and I have this foam, um, the other foam, the um, burial. No, the um, stuff that Javier uses up in Oceanside, oh, which I love. Javier's
2: is good. Yeah, that's um. We used to call it and That's made by Dow, but uh, I forget what they call well, it.
1: Well, it's not expanded; it, it's extruded.
2: Extruded crap, right? So it's waterproof. XTR, X-T-R. yes, water. Yes, yeah, waterproof. Know, when I worked at, with Matt Biolas, they were making, they still are, um, with Javier. they were making like, I think, 20 boards a week, which is a lot. Um, I don't have a theory on it. I don't know too much. I haven't. I made a couple when I was at Matt's because people wanted it. So, obviously, I think it's some people wear blue shirts and some people wear. I wear black. I wear a lot of black clothes when I'm a musician. <laughs> Who the hell's right? Nobody. We just yeah. have to, what makes us feel good, you know? I
1: agree, yeah. And like I said, I have EPS that I like and I have have the sport that Javier has
2: made me that no, I love. You're such a collector. I had no idea. I'm sure if I looked around, like, the guy that's got the best collection of Rossons is definitely Paul Nade. You know Nade, right? Yeah. He's got a, well, I know for a fact, because when they moved all his stuff, when he moved out of Billabong, they needed a container, yeah. not just a truck, a container to put all his stuff that he had collected, just stuff from the Quig era, from Balsas, Simmons. I mean, he had all kinds of stuff. Yeah. But according to my friend, and I won't mention his name, or he had more Rawsons than probably any one brand, and that made me feel good. Because Paul has fun. been a really good friend to me. Yeah, I'm always visla I mean. I'm a big fan of his as well because he's There's Pat Rosson with his or the- his silver glasses and his Visla hat. This is my look <laughs> this year. And
1: people, you know, I have you're a, looking like George Burns every day. Every I, time I follow, I see you, he's in my
2: shape. Anybody that follows me, they'll see like if I do a shaping room shot. What I do is I pin the logo on the board so it looks like a finished board. It's yeah. just like I'm not gonna. I can't do it with every board. I don't know where they go after they get glass. My glass is so good. I don't have to inspect everything. They mm-hmm. do that for me and they get shipped in New York or. Maybe they're going to Brazil via Miami. I'm, my brand goes all over the world. Instead of me going all over the world, we have Delta Cargo and UPS and all that. You know, it's yeah. easy. Yeah. When you're 65, you start making your life easier, you know, so you can be better at what you do, I guess. Paul's one of those guys that, that at the end of the day,
1: when you take away all of the sort of the, you know, the the show, I guess, you know, at the end of the day, Paul is a surfboard lover, and and it's because I believe he built boards. He's up. like you. He is a really damn good surfer. Oh, he's a great surfer. He, won, he was on what the was that IPS. Wasn't he on the IPS? For sure. Like in like 75, I met, him in a, I met
2: him in the late 70s. He was, you know, a South African, one of Sean's guys. He was the quiet guy, and I knew he was a sander. He was actually a builder back in those times. Yeah. And then we, of course, came back together. He had Rossons with tucked rails. He has – there's the Paul Nadi rail. Oh, I, really? Oh, yeah. He has his – he's got a lot of them. but. Yeah. But we were working with Mike Thompson at Gotcha. And I was working with Brian Surratt, who was one of my old friends and yeah. stuff. And he was in charge of the team there, along with Michael and Derek Lowe and Potter. And, all. you know, we had this incredible energy going on. And so Nod was a guy that would get on an airplane and go to China or go to Singapore, wherever he went. And he found these incredible fabrics. You remember back when Gotcha was really big? They did these wovens that were unreal. And that was all Paul. Yeah. He made it happen. Yeah. And then you know, Michael was just the marketing guy, and he'd just kind of looking at, like, be looking at something. I go, "What are you looking at?" And he just, eh, I don't know." And then he'd come up with an idea, and he was amazing at that. Yeah, Mike Thompson's a oh, genius. For sure, for sure, yeah. So you know, that was where I met Paul, and I just think those kind of surfers tend to be more of my customers. Yeah, you know, and I like that my customers come there either chiropractors or doctors or dentists or people that make decent money and they don't mind paying. The money for a premium product because they know they're going to get something they can go if they're going to Tavaro or they're going somewhere ridiculous. They have a probably a better chance of getting a good board because I keep the quality consistent. The shapes aren't this one year and then now it's that. I just try to always make sure I offer the medium for those guys. And then I have my little trippy stuff if people get into it. And that's always good. That's turned into a second, like my sniper and all my hybrids, you're in Paula. That was from hanging out with Larry Mabel and Skip Fry yeah. in San Diego. Yeah. You know, I was building a bunch of fishes. My San Diego fish, I've been going since 1971 on except I just renamed it because Lermo turned me on. I looked at his, and I looked at mine. I got one, and he goes, wow, this is just like mine. I go, yeah. I mean, I didn't measure this. This has been going for, that was from Donovan, because Donovan was riding my boards. So. Yeah. And he got real into, like, the esoteric, what about this one? Could you make me a fish? So I had a sh- shaped the first one. And then, of course, I went and got it scanned, and so it was like a rocket fishy kind of board. Yeah. But I think that that market is so interesting. You know, when you ask about, like, how did Tom come about? Well, that market was all about guns. That was an era for guns. But I'd say by probably 2002, Tom Curran got his board from, I forget who it was in Australia, but it was about the fish. And that changed everything. And then what happened? You know, Kelly was always just killing it along the way. He's so passionate about his boards. All of a sudden, he finally puts five fin boxes in the boards. And guess what? You go to a shop, it's very rare you'll just see they, three fin they boxes. They won't even take them. No, I mean, it's just easier for the customer. He can it. They won't
1: even, yeah, they won't even take them from the manufacturer with just five, with
2: just, you know, without five fin boxes. That's what I've been told. Yeah, I mean, and so there you go. I mean, I, I see Vince once in a while from Futures. I use Futures exclusively. I really like the way their system works, and they make a great product. It's like they just doubled their <laughs> their business, in you know, overnight. Thanks to, thank you, Kelly, yeah. you know. Yeah, and then and you got so now cool. the Kai you had the Kelly influence and, and now it's turned to Kai. And you know, Kai's just a free thinking kid. He's got really good imagination. He's one of the nicest guys on the planet, if you know him for the right reasons. And what did he do? Look at foiling. Do you foil?
1: No, but I it, don't either. I mean every time him. I run into Pizel, he berates me for well, not picking
2: it up. Yeah. But you know, I want I mean,
1: to. I just i got too many fun things I already do. Right.
2: Well, I mean, if you have a gig, let's say you're like Jimmy Howard is a guy I really respect on jazz piano in Hawaii, and I'm going to get lessons eventually, but right now I'm really happy with my friend Reggie Padilla. Yeah. You asked me about people who are big influences. Reggie is a monster keyboard player, but he hated lugging his stuff around in New York, so he took his saxophone when I think he was 10. You know, he's only 40. Just turn, he's turning 40 tomorrow, or no, on the 9th. And he got so good on the saxophone. I mean, he's like Joe Lovano and Dexter Gore. He He's really good at emulating. So he's my keyboard teacher. And, you know, I just think you get these people like that, that um, in your life. If you're lucky enough to get around good people, like I was lucky enough to be around Brewer. I was lucky to be around Tom Carroll. It can help your career. As long as you use it wisely and you don't misuse your power, which I think a lot of people do. Yeah. I don't feel I ever have. I mean, if anything, I might be guilty of just talking somebody's ear off and going, okay, well, I got to go now, Pat. <laughs> when you're ADHD, you don't know your own strength, right? And yeah. I'm, that's fine. Yeah. Just put your hand up. I tell them all the ones I want. I go, look, if your brain's already busy with something and I'm coming, just put your hand up and I'll know. And I'll go, okay. I don't take it personally because no. I know better. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I had... Um- Jim Banks here. A couple months ago, he sat right where you're sitting. He lifted the same cup that you're lifting right now, and he drank the oolong.
2: Nice. And I'm glad I'm using his cup. I like <laughs> Jimmy Banks. Yeah. He's pretty pure. He's, he's a really a great cool guy, guy. And,
1: and a musician mm. and a guitar builder. He's a yeah, loser. He's passionate now. and he's, he's really, talented. He's really, talented. really into geeking um, out on electronics and 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 um, you know. My amp, he got me all fired up on different amps, and he's kind of a tinkerer. So way.
2: he helped you with your music.
1: Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. One of the things he brought up in our interview was this idea of how many hours he has into each board. Is but
2: this a some... shape, or just yeah,
1: just like like he'll go look that that. Fish that I
2: ride whenever. Like three hours maybe or something. No, no, he's
1: saying like tens of thousands of hours. Based. Oh, you need to
2: come up with a design. Yeah, to, to and, come up with of a of design, course. to
1: fine tune it, to get it to a place where he's like, yeah. look,
2: these are my designs. Like, I, these are the ones. You know, I just looked at one in Chris Christensen. I'm working at Chris Christensen's factory at Moonlight. He's taken me under his wing. We're collaborating or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. But I've been gifted to be able to work in his room. He works in the morning. I work in the afternoon. And a guy named Dave Kennedy, who if you've been surfing for over 20 everybody knows Dave. And David, David, David yeah. is brilliant. Yeah. And he's a good family friend. He was one of the few people my wife actually let to come in and have dinner with us. He's just a good guy. Yeah. And he had a Jimmy Banks. And I looked at it. I go, this is the board I like. You know, and Chris was really looking. at. It I wasn't like, eh, I didn't shape it, so I'm not looking. I mean, Chris is really into it like I am. Like, wow, what can we learn from this board, you know? Yeah, that's cool. Oh, it's totally cool. I love being here. I mean, I'm, you know, I am just stopped traveling when I turned 60. I thought about it. I went, you know, I just need to get back more into my music, which I did. I started playing full-time again. Full-time for me is three nights a week. Cause I got to drive. It's two and a half hours drive sometimes with the bad traffic. And if I have a rehearsal for something else and then a gig, I mean, that's a full day. And I'll shape in the morning. If I can get a board out, I'll jump in the car. I'll do all my phone calls while I'm driving. And you can look with MapQuest. You know what the traffic's doing? I just go up windward. I just go backside. It's way prettier. Wow. And I can get to Honolulu and jump into the, the H, whatever that's called, in an hour. Yeah. But Lonnie Kea can be like 45 minutes to get from, like, Foodland sometimes backed up all the way to Haleva. That's just, I'm sorry. Is that all because of the turtles? It's because of the tour industry and because, unfortunately, and I'm going to say it publicly because I want people to become more involved in learning why things are what they are in Hawaii and how we can change it, just like you guys are here. I mean, they have rent control here. There's a lot of things that we don't have in Hawaii, and I think that at the end of the day, the government needs to look after us people, right? We vote for them. We're expecting them to do what they say they're going to do, and I'm not saying we have poor politicians or anything. I mean, I'm not... Thrilled by really what we got, but that's just the way it is right now, you know. it's
1: it's a weird deal. accept
2: it. it. You know, I feel for the Hawaiians. I'm not a Hawaiian. I'm Hanai. I've been there a long time. But I'm not Hawaiian, and they're just so mellow. They just go, you know, Pat, what are we going to do? And Hmm. I said, I know what we're going to do. We need to learn about this stuff. And, you know, have you ever seen one guy try to push his car to the gas station, and then a bus stops, and like 16 guys get out and help him, and the guy that was sweating, just one finger. The power of numbers you know yeah. and we can make changes in the world by that and that's what we should be doing i think yeah. whether you're a shaper a musician or you, you're whatever you do for your work you're changing things nah. you're supporting us scott i'm going to say this right now <laughs> our industry is is really fragile right now and a lot of people are trying to figure out like what works like chris christensen has figured out what works he's brilliant And I'm lucky. I mean, one plus two might equal six with me and him. I don't know how it's going to play out. But I know I love the factory. I love those people because each one of them loves building surfboards. There's guys I knew in the 60s. They're still like Gary Stuber or uh, Wayne Wayne Hoshide. He was originally Donald's first classer in the 60s. They're still working. And now I'm in the factory with them going, hey, how you been, man? You know, Gary...
1: I'll give you a little tip about Gary. He loves Mississippi John Hurt. So if you wanna bring him a Mississippi bring him a little story about Mississippi John Hurt, he actually plays it. He's a good player, a good guitar player. Really? And Mississippi John Hurt is pretty difficult fingering.
2: It's not just your simple, you know, EAD or whatever. Well you're like you're I mean, what I listened to when you sent me that one um link, um that was loop, but you kinda of feel like a blues player. You feel like that's maybe where you wanna be and Maybe a little bit of a rock feel to it or something. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm, I'm just a noodler. I'm a kook. But when you see Gary, just bring up some Mississippi John Hurt and, and you guys can you guys can battle it what out. We get on, was I
2: got about. him on my CBD for his wife. You know, and Gary's really, I mean, he's 75 and he looks amazing, like younger than me. Yeah, I told him and that. And I grabbed that. his hands and said, I go, does this hurt? How about this? And I was pushing here and he goes, no, I don't. And I, like, it's because he took care of himself. Yeah. So he's really, in, and Wayne looks really good too, and Peter St. Pierre. I mean, I'm surrounded by people that I, I love, and I'm out of their group even though they're older than me. I'm the last of the, basically the last of the old guys and oldest of the new guys or youngest of the old guys. Or <laughs> Which would you rather be, I'm the youngest confused. of Wait, the what old am I gonna guys? Be? Yeah, so what am I, you know, I don't know. Sometimes when I'm with them, I feel like, yeah, I belong in that factory. Mm. And it's really cool because i got the best guys in the world, the quality that we have coming now. I can do finally what I want, and I still have what I have in Hawaii with Otis Schapper and Hawaii Surf Factory. I mean, they are amazing, too. It's just it's important to be on the big rock and also on the little rock, yeah. in my opinion. I think it's really important for me to be here, too. Well, we've said a lot, and we've had a good chat, and, um,
1: and I thank you so much for, for being a part of the podcast, and we're excited that you are this year's honoree for the Icons of Foam Tribute to the Masters at the boardroom here the first weekend in May coming up in 2020.
2: So I'm going to say thank you. I'm going to say thank you for picking me or whoever did. Thank you, guys. Um, I want to say thank you for your hard work because, again, this is the only event that brings all of us together, both builders and customers. I mean, where else can you see any shaper that you wanted to see and always wanted to meet, like Matt Biolas, let's say, or maybe it's Timmy Patterson? We're all going to be there. Yeah. Whatever date in May two thousand twenty that I'm gonna first, first weekend it's the second and third, I believe. Bring your rotten fruit and you can take pot shots at me, man. <laughs> I'll be wearing dark clothes so you won't ruin my clothes. But I think it's just really cool what you're doing. And I think we need to support this. If you want custom surfboard building to allow it to be continuing, it's a bad way to say it, but that's what I wanna say. Man, support this thing, you know, support Scott. It's the people that are putting in money to make this thing happy for Scott. I mean, we all need support.
1: Okay. Thank you, Pat. And thanks for being here. Thank you. If you like the podcast please subscribe also consider visiting our sponsors theboardsource.com neat essentials and check out our instagram boardroom show twitter boardroom surf and we're on facebook as well boardroom international surfboard show you can also donate go to boardroomshow.com click on podcast and you'll see the donate button on the right side of the page I also produce a show with David Lee Scales called Spit, where we basically riff on all things surfing. It's a lighthearted look at surf competition and surf culture, the surf industry in general. Spit. Again, thanks for listening.